it's almost a cliche to say that we live in a post-Christian America. Even though many Christians may not know it, we have been taken captive by the secular culture and our beliefs make increasingly little sense and our language has become offensive to the world's ears. This was also true with Daniel and his friends who were taken exiles to Babylon. The world as they have known for hundreds of years had suddenly disappeared and they became strangers in a strange land. But we got on their side, Daniel and his friends saved the day. The life of Daniel illustrates that God has a plan for the world, for the church, and that our future is in his hands. This gives us hope because we are living in a time of momentous transition. British evangelical social critic Oz Guinness says that we are now living in the twilight of 500 years of Western dominance and warns that neither secular progress nor secular progressiveness with their totalitarian philosophy and illiberal liberalism have brought the West the progress they once promised. And he warns that a cut flower civilization lacks adequate root system to nourish its own ideals of freedom, justice, equality, and universality. And that's why this is a Daniel moment. In this passage, we see how God uses even a selfish and ambitious king, Nebuchadnezzar, to accomplish his will and purpose. We also see how Daniel and his friends refused to compromise their faith and their lifestyle. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was popular. He was wealthy. He was actually very well liked. Yet he was unhappy because he was haunted by a dream that his personal well-being and the security of his kingdom will not last. Novelist David Foster Wallace in his commencement speech at Kenyon College says, worship money and things, you never feel you have enough. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. Worship your intellect, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always the verge of being found out. So because of his insecurity, he made unreasonable demands on his magicians, enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers. These are the four departments of the ancient Babylonian university. Fred, where do you fit in? <laughs> Astrologers, probably. <laughs> He's an enchanter. <laughs> and so then, summon them to interpret his dream, otherwise they would be cut into pieces. 
Daniel heard about it when Aria, the king's executioner, came to the door. And he immediately told his friends about what had happened and urged them to pray to God. That night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And the lives of the wise men, along with Daniel and his friends, were spared. And because the story was so familiar to us, so we did not read the entire story, but when you go home, you may want to read that and also read chapter 3 for next week. Now, if we said that Daniel's life illustrates how God works in the world, in the church, and our lives are in his hands, what principles can we learn then from the life of Daniel for us living in the post-Christian 21st century America. I believe the first principle is God will never give up on us or abandon us. You know, one of the features of advanced modernity is, as Askinus describes, everyone is everywhere and no one is in charge. (laughs) So we're confused. There's no such thing as Right and wrong, true or false, everything is socially constructed. A couple came to me some years ago, actually in my early days of campus ministry, when they found out that their son was gay. And they just needed some reassurance that as parents, they're okay. But that was way back in the 70s. When students at the University of Iowa and not UC Berkeley or Harvard or, or uh, uh, University of Colorado in Columbus, not Columbus, uh, University of Columbus, where? Mulder, yeah. That was the, the, uh, the hippie school. <laughs> not in these schools, but it was at the University of Iowa when they first organized the first Gay Liberation Front. And they were meeting at Wesley House, a Methodist student center where I had my office. And then around that time, there was also the libera- uh, Lesbian Liberation Front that was organized as well. So Walter Cronkite sent a reporter to tape a segment on the 5 o'clock news or 5.30 news. In the early 90s, I was involved in the Human Rights Commission And I voted in favor, along with my other colleagues, to include the LGBT community as a protected class. But today, transgenderism has become the face of sexual revolution. Some of you might witness the Gay Pride Parade just last weekend in Iowa City. The men who coined the expression sexual or term sexual revolution was an anarchist Freudian scholar by the name Wilhelm Brick who coined the term sexual revolution and has influenced people like Norman Miller and even Hillary Clinton. And today then, Sexual revolution has become the totalitarian whip. Transgenderism has become the totalitarian whip. And we are told that the pronouns he, she, and it 
are no longer appropriate categories and that we are all somewhere along a spectrum typified by the statement, sometimes I feel feminine, sometimes masculine, and sometimes both at the same time. Polish sociologist Simon Bowman coined the term liquid modernity. Everything is fluid, and it takes on the shape where the fluid moves. There are no givens. In fact, that's the title of Marilyn's latest book, The Givenness of Things. But there are no givens. Everything is socially constructed. Liquid love, liquid time, liquid modernity. So living in this topsy-turvy, crazy, and confusing world, it's easy to feel alone and even feel abandoned by God. I prayed in the last many years, how long, O oh Lord, how long must we wait? What gives me comfort is the phrase from the hymn, this is my father's world, that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. And as ruler, God is not only with us, but also makes things happen. Daniel 1, 2 says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Daniel 1, 9, Now God has caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Verse 15, At the end of the ten days, they look healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. This is how God manages the world. Whether it's in the political arena, or in evangelism, or in cultivating our spiritual growth, it's God who gives wisdom and desire to learn. It is God who changes the attitude of men and women and makes them humble to receive his salvation. The biblical view of God's sovereignty says that we are not God, but we are derived from God and dependent on God. That's why we see in Daniel that God works in our subconscious mind just as he did with King Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. But he also uses the choices we make, the circumstances we face every day, to accomplish his purpose. We see, on the other hand, that even though God is in control of all things, Daniel and his friends had to make the decision not to eat the king's food. And that is not accepting the world's values and mindset. The courage to be distinctively Christian, to live differently. Verse 8 summarizes the uncompromising life with these simple words. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Perhaps it's more difficult to live differently today because of the social media maps giving thumbs up and thumbs down like the Roman emperor.
But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Second principle, human crisis is God's opportunity. As long as Nebuchadnezzar was not afraid and the magicians were held in high esteem, Daniel wasn't able to gain a hearing. But now the great day has arrived for Daniel to proclaim the name of the Lord to kings and wise men. Daniel replied to the king, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I remember when President Jimmy Carter announced the normalization with China in the late 70s. A student from Taiwan living with us, at that time we lived with students communally, She was terrified, and a mother who happened to be visiting, the two of them did not sleep at all all night. They were crying, and the next morning they got up, there's a red ring around their eyes. And I must have sounded cruel and cold when I said, as Christians, we must always think in terms of the gospel. But sure enough, Along with the normalization was the reopening of many churches, the printing of the Bibles, the influx of Christian Chinese students, including Lin Hua Shan, one of the victims of the 1991 campus shooting, and changes the landscape of Iowa City. Shan's widow, Yi Ling, became a Christian in California and married one of Lin Hua Shan's former colleagues at the University of Iowa's physics department, and along with her husband and daughter, are members of a church there. During my time in campus ministry, I must have baptized over a hundred students, many of whom were from the Chinese background, including Linda Kao, who was the president at the time of the Friendship Association of Chinese Students and Scholars. And she was the one who brought me to visit Yiling, the wife of the only Chinese victim that was killed by Lu Gang. But shortly after the tragedy, her husband, Hua Xin, also became a Christian. And this recently he came back to Iowa City to visit and to speak. He told me, he said it was because of the testimony of the love of Anne Cleary's brothers that he decided that love is real. And he said, if love is real, there must be a source of this love. So he was ready to accept Christ as his Savior. Just two weeks ago, I got a call from another couple, and they asked me if I remember them. They said, 30 years ago, you married us. And I married quite a few couples as well. And I said, the name sounds familiar, very familiar. (laughs) But I can't quite picture your face. So they said, well, send you a picture. And they said, we are both Christians and we're serving a church in Boston. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had everything a human being would want, money, power, 
and popularity. But he was upset by the dream of growing realization that all is vanity. Outwardly, nothing has changed, but inwardly, insecurity and uncertainty. Perhaps underneath the dreams are the ultimate questions raised every day by people like you and me. What's the purpose of life and existence? Why so much that is good and beautiful marked with signs of frailty, instability, and decay? So the first thing we learn from the life of Daniel is no matter how dark the times, God will never abandon us. The second is every crisis is God's opportunity. For the darkest hour is truly just before dawn. And this is also how we should look at the present cultural crisis. God is sovereign over history and the rise and fall of nations and powers. This is true of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, but also every modern empire, superpower too, including the United States. And the third is, no matter how dark the times, we are called to be bearers of God's revelation wherever we are and whatever we do. I thank God for the privilege of getting to know a number of extremely bright and accomplished professors at the University of Iowa, including James Van Allen. I found out from his wife that they actually were uh, uh, neighbors to the founder of Time Magazine, The Boots, who were missionaries there. And James Van Allen actually was an elder in the First Presbyterian Church until they, they uh, made a decision while he was traveling overseas. People like President Hunter Rawlings, who asked me to participate in the campus memorial service for the shooting, and then he took pain to remind me that this is a secular memorial service. A Bible commentator says that the simplest child of God can give you a better account of what international relations are heading than the most respected statesman unfamiliar with God's word. As Christians, we do not know everything about the future because we look through a glass darkly, but we do know some things about the future. And what we already know about the future are the most important. What do Christians know about the future? One, death is not the end, but a doorway to eternal life or eternal death. Two, we know that there's no utopian dream and no humanistic kingdom of peace and harmony on earth. And it certainly would not be brought about by either the Democratic or Republican Party. Three, we know that the struggles between the nations of the world will eventually turn into a struggle between the kingdoms of this world, America included, and the kingdom of God. And this is the theme of the book of Daniel. No wonder Daniel remained completely calm. When the astrologers answered 
There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asked, Daniel replied. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has shown God, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will happen in the days to come. For the secular mindset, what is unseen is unreal. But the fourth, for the Christian, what is unseen is more real than the seen. Even though the seen world is real, whereas Eastern religions say the seen world is not real, it's the unseen. But Christian says the unseen world is more real than the seen. And that's why we believe in prayer. And we believe in a sovereign God who is in control of all things and nothing will go wrong. The future will not finally be a matter of superpower agendas, quoting from Askinus again, or scientific discoveries or technological advances or environmental disasters or even the ongoing march of human folly, says Askinus. The final factor lies in God's good, strong hands. Maybe some of us feel that God has not heard our prayers for good health. For a wayward son or daughter, if you're old enough like me, or even grandson or granddaughters, or for the healing of a loved one or a friend. I have been meeting with a group of Middle Easterners on Saturday mornings, and there's few Muslims, a few Catholics, and some nominal Christians. And one of them said, oh, I have two good friends, and they both are dying. And he was grieving over the ending of their earthly friendship. But if God is God, then he's in control of all things. And he will use the choices we make and circumstances we face to accomplish his purpose. The ultimate question is, who do you serve? Today, tomorrow, next year, and the rest of your life. Now I wish to call your attention for one more thing before we close. Verse 21 of chapter 1 appears to be just a very ordinary statement. In fact, you could count, almost count uh, uh, the, the sentence with both hands. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Who is King Cyrus? Cyrus is the name of the king of Persia. In 536 BC, Babylon was defeated by Persia. When Cyrus became king, he allowed the Israelites to rebuild the temple and to worship God freely. When Daniel was captured to Babylon, he was only 13 or 14. When he was 70, King Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon was no longer in existence. But Daniel was. Daniel was still there because God is a sovereign God. That's why I believe that you and I are here this morning. Because God has put us here 
Although we now live in a post-Christian America, it is not yet non-Christian or completely secular. But we don't know how much longer. Unless Christians today resolve to stand firm on their convictions like Daniel. Ultimately, it's up to God, of course. And that's why the challenge is for us to outthink, for those of us who work in the university, to outlive and even to outdie our contemporaries. But now is our Daniel moment. We already know that God can use youngsters that Daniel 13 or 14. The passage in 2 Timothy, 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 Timothy was only about 15 or 16. In fact, we're too old for graduate students. <laughs> but there's also hope for those of us who are pre-middle age. When my friend turned 50, he told his friends, that he was middle aged and then he thought about it again and he said, if 50 is middle aged, then I have to live to be 100. <laughs> Some of you are in your 30s, 40s. And remember that Golden Mayor did not become the premier, prime minister of Israel until she was 80. So there is even hope for some of us. <laughs> so let us be faithful regardless of what happens after this morning. Let us be faithful because God is faithful. Let us be faithful because God, through his Holy Spirit, make us faithful. Let's be faithful because we are most fulfilled, most happy, and most human that way. And to do otherwise would be to deny ourselves. Let us pray.